It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It's here, the time everyone has been waiting for. We are just a day, hours, or maybe you're listening to this podcast after Saturday night, but all eyes are focused on Duke versus Carolina in the men's NCAA Final Four. Everyone, including Governor Cooper. He just declared a proclamation just as we turned on the microphones. We're the center of the universe, he says. Of college basketball. <laughs> college basketball. <laughs> I did see someone tweet that act- the actual center between Duke and Carolina is a Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> so despite the fact that all eyes are on this basketball shooting contest Saturday night, we did have a little bit of political news, especially on the election side. Man, Congressman Madison Cawthorn just keeps cranking out the news. Exactly. It feels like in this week, everyone keeps saying, like, I don't want to focus on Madison Cawthorn, but we have to. He shows up in our Twitter feed saying something bombastic. And we even learned that he said something this week that he has since kind of recanted. I think it was on Sunday when this broke. (laughs) Yeah. It looked like a recorded interview with I don't know who. And he had said that he'd been invited to orgies and seen people do um, cocaine yeah, in a, front of him. A key bump. Yeah, I had to ask you what that was. And then I had to go to my Urban Dictionary to look it up. Apparently, it's dust of <laughs> Your co- Urban Dictionary? Do you carry one? <laughs> <laughs> dust of cocaine that he saw. Republican leader... Kevin McCarthy. He got called to the principal's office. Got called in, and apparently after a 30-minute discussion with the Republican leaders in Congress, he said, yeah, maybe I was over-exaggerating a little bit. Also, on Wednesday night, it was announced that Senator Tom Tillis would be backing his opponent in the primary. Yeah, and I think Speaker Moore... Uh, is heading to a fundraiser. And Phil Berger. And Phil Berger. We're recording this on Thursday. Right They're, now. Yeah. They are heading there now to support uh, Senator Chuck Edwards in that race. Just it, a little more drama between Speaker Moore and Madison Cawthorn. Oh, grudge match, if there ever was one. So today, we see that Congressman Cawthorn has released an ad in which none of this is his fault. That everyone, the media, the left is trying to take him down. Yes, they are forcing him to wear his baseball cap backward. (laughs) And they are forcing him to say that he was invited to orgies and he was invited to do cocaine. And just more and more people, as, as this news continues to come out about him, he continues to make the conscious decision to place himself in the middle of controversies. Yeah. As that's happening, more and more Republicans are saying, I can't support this guy. Earlier in the week, Senator Burr said to CNN, it's up to his voters to decide, but things he has done have been an embarrassment to the state. Yeah. Another thing that folks have been waiting for, we keep getting really close to getting 
the an auto manufacturer in North Carolina and then we lose. Mm-hmm. You hear all these stories about these big jobs and then they choose Austin. Um, and this week we finally landed an auto manufacturer. Yeah, a Vietnamese car manufacturer is going to open up a plant in Chatham County. This is big news. We saw a bipartisan groundbreaking this week. A lot of excitement. These are going to be high-paying jobs. Electric cars. Vintech is what it's called. It is an exciting time. Congratulations to the General Assembly. Congratulations to the governor and all the folks that went into recruiting this company. Uh, Very much a milestone week in economic development for the state of North Carolina. On Tuesday morning, That committee that has been meeting to look at Medicaid expansion also met and talked about the SAVE Act, which Representative Adcock, when she was on the podcast, she referenced that bill, which would allow nurses and nurse practitioners to practice at the top of their scope. And it was a three and a half hour long meeting where folks on both sides of the issue gave presentations on why or why not we should do that. This has been a debate that has been going on for years in the General Assembly. There is some optimism that maybe that scope of practice will expand for nurses, but wow, what a battle, what a hearing. So, Sky, you have some exciting personal news to share. I know a lot of folks don't know this side of you that you are a singer and a dancer and an actor. This is something you've been doing. I've been acting to like you for about seven years. All your life, you have been working on this part of your life. But this week, you got some exciting news. Can you share that with our listeners? The weirdest part of this whole thing, I'm so embarrassed to talk about this, but the weirdest part of this whole thing is that you went with me to my audition, which is truly just another example of how weird we are. It is weird. I enjoyed being at this audition, but you got news this week that you won a role and you're going to be performing later this summer, the end of August, at the Raleigh Performing Arts Center. So I auditioned a few weeks ago and must have been last month and I just found out at the beginning of this week that I did get the role in General Hospital, the musical, and I will be performing here at the Raleigh Performing Arts Center, and I will be playing Laura in the musical. Congratulations. This is a musical based on General Hospital, the soap opera. In addition to acting, you're going to have to sing, and you're going to have to do a dance routine. I did not, and I think a lot of folks did not know just how talented you are in the performing arts. It's just another side of me. Uh, so when do tickets go on sale? Tickets go on sale April 1st, which is also April, April Fool's Day. Day. Oh, that was fun. And really, this is Brian's brainchild because anytime we travel, or even if we're just going to the grocery store together, he does these elaborate stories and he'll he'll ask our uber driver we'll be in dc or something he'll be like do you recognize her it's so embarrassing (laughs) and then you know the uber driver is staring in the mirror looking at me like 
mm, no. Brian's like, she's in General Hospital the musical. <laughs> or like, she was on season three of Game of Thrones. Would you like me to take your picture? And we were in Charleston once, and he yeah. told the hotel staff that we were going to my audition, and we came back to the hotel, and they were like, we hope you got it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, being around Brian Lewis, you just like never know what storyline you have to play into at any given time. Well, I think you would be great in General Hospital the musical. This was a highly requested podcast episode. We sat down with Senate Minority Leader Dan Blue and talked about his historical career. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Dan Blue, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Glad to be with you. To start us off, tell us about your district. Where is your district? Why do you think your district is special? Uh, It's special because you're sitting in it right now. (laughs) Uh, But no, it's special. It's it's, uh, a... Uh, basically a microcosm of Wake County in North Carolina. Uh, I represent uh, uh, rural areas of Wake County, and I represent downtown Raleigh. Uh, uh, Basically, uh, most of downtown now in my new district, uh, I lost a little of downtown, but I went further out uh, to to the uh, Wake County, Franklin County uh, line. So so I take in Zebulon, Wendell, uh, Nightdale, Raleigh, Garner, uh, and a lot of spots in between. So it's a very varied district, uh, as diverse as any place uh, in the state, uh, uh, as far as city and rural areas, and just wonderful people. That's that's really what makes it special. Uh, I've known them and represented uh, the folk all over Wake County during my tenure in the General Assembly, uh, and, and I've really found the people of this county to be extra special. And you practice law here in town? I do. Two blocks uh, from where we're recording this uh, on Fayetteville Street. I have uh, uh, basically been practicing on Fayetteville Street uh, my entire career, minus uh, about six or eight years when I was on Hargett Street, two blocks off of Fayetteville Street. But uh, downtown, uh, my entire professional career. And you're a North Carolina native. You were born in Lumberton? Yeah, Robinson County. Uh, grew up on a farm down in Robinson County and learning all of the stuff uh, that one needs to know that they don't know that they're learning and, and don't appreciate it at the time that you're learning it. But uh, uh, yeah, and uh, I left there at 16, headed off to college and uh, decided I wanted to uh, uh, be in some of the more exciting areas in the state, although Robinson County was a great county to grow up in. What kind of child were you? What was it like living in Robinson County? Oh, I was a wonderful child. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Always a gentleman. Yeah, a wonderful child. Uh, and again, uh, it was uh, very rural. I grew up uh, uh, about uh, eight miles out of the city uh, on, on our family farm. And, uh, you know, learned how to do all kinds of chores early on uh, uh, from, you know, uh, working with the animals, making sure they got fed checking on them, doing all of the things that farm boys do, uh, going to school, going to Sunday school. I mean, our community was centered around the church, as 
uh, a good number of rural communities are, and uh, and played baseball and did all of the things that little boys in the country did at that time, uh, but also had uh, a a very yearning desire uh, the entire while of, of of reaching out further, seeing what uh, life really had to offer, and fortunately had just great uh, uh, public school teachers in Robinson County. Uh, you know, my Sunday school teachers, the people at the church uh, who took an interest in all of us, uh, exposed us to many other things, and most importantly, my parents, who uh, you know, encouraged us to do whatever we thought we had the potential to do and did everything within their power. I mean, we, we were not people of great or substantial means, but they did everything uh, in, their, in their ability to make sure that we had the opportunity to uh, get different experiences uh, uh, you know, they encouraged uh, us to do what the teachers told us to do, and the teachers invested in us their own resources, and they had very few, but their own resources and getting materials for us to read. Uh, and, and the interesting thing, when I was growing up in Robinson County, it was strictly segregated, uh, tri-racially, because it, it, had the, it has the highest uh, population of Native Americans east of the Mississippi River. And so we had three systems of everything. In some instances, there were four, uh, because tobacco was, was king down in that part of the country, the Buddha Belt tobacco. And uh, uh, there were a lot of international players who came to the tobacco market down there. And so they probably didn't know which of those places they belonged in when you had uh, a, a, a white, a colored, and an Indian bathroom. So in some of the warehouses, there was a fourth category called Other. <laughs> I'm serious. And I look back on it, uh, and it is absolutely amazing, uh, the, the, the expenses that folk went through at that time to basically enforce that rigid system. Uh, but we learned from it. I mean, again, I was on the farm in the country, and uh, regardless of who you were and where you had to go in those bathrooms or at the water fountains, uh, during the week, uh, you were on the farms together, and you were getting to know people, and and, and, and getting to assess people. So it was a very uh, good training area. Uh, and I think uh, that as I look back on it, because of the security uh, of my parents, the security of all of my cousins who were around, because uh, I had a good number of relatives in the area, uh, I used it as a learning uh, opportunity. And, uh, and even through high school, uh, uh, my high school and its faculty at the time I graduated was still rigidly uh, uh, segregated. And uh, uh, you learn stuff. And so my leaving Robinson County uh, to go to college was sort of uh, an epiphany and awakening for me in many ways. I will say that even growing up, though, I was you know bagging groceries in the local supermarket and stuff like that. So I had good, good memories, good experiences, a lot of good friends. Uh, small school, so you did a little of everything, uh, and and I learned to do a lot of things, whether it was in the band and the choir, a little bit of sports, and all of those various other things. Was there an expectation when you were younger that Dan Blue, you're going to college? Oh, absolutely. An interesting story uh, that that I like to share with people. She, she was my English teacher in high school, and uh, also the choir director, whose whole life was locked into what her students were doing. And, and when I say whole life, I really mean 50 years of teaching in the public schools of Robinson County. 
And she would identify five or six kids every year who would come through her class and in the class generally because there was more than one class at the same grade uh, and determine uh, the kind of experience that they were going to get, load them in her little car. Uh, this is in the mid-60s. Load them in her car and ride us all over the state to different productions and stuff. And in the 10th grade, was the 400th anniversary of the Globe Theater, uh, the Shakespearean Globe Theater. And that lady, Mrs. Washington, took us to productions all over North Carolina, all over uh, the other places uh, in the South, so that we could see Shakespearean productions played out. Now, again, in a rural country school, this woman had a graduate degree, a master's, and a couple of masters. Uh, but uh, students were her life, and she uh, spent her money uh, buying us subscriptions to things like, I think it was Practical English and various other publications, uh, making sure that uh, we were reinforcing writing, reinforcing literature and stuff like that. And those are the untold stories uh, that uh, I think went on in a lot of these small schools that people thought there weren't resources in, but places that had tremendous resources. My Fear always was that I was being loaded up with all of this, but what am I going to do to compete uh, with the kids from the cities? Mm -hmm. What am I going to do to keep compete with kids from Raleigh, Fayetteville, Charlotte, Greensboro? Uh, it didn't matter what race they were. What uh, are we ready to compete? And uh, the, the, I mentioned Miss Washington, but there were several others: history teacher, uh, the ag teacher, uh, who were determined uh, that what resources they had, uh, they were going to be expended on making sure that their students were going to stand out among everybody. And you did, right? You had a lot of leadership experience in high school. You're the valedictorian of your class, and you went to college and then to law school. Can you kind of walk us through like that portion of your life? Yeah, and, and it's an interesting start on that. Uh, I mentioned what the expectations were. I was a little kid uh, in elementary school, and they had just shut down well, they shut down the Rosenwald School that uh, I tagged along going to uh, uh, the year, two years after Brown versus Board of Education, before I officially started school. And, and I mean, two years after. And at the time uh, that I was starting school, the Russians launched Sputnik. Following the launch of Sputnik, uh, the country, the United States, you know, we were still coming out of World War II, uh, decided that we had to uh, add double emphasis to math and sciences. And so from uh, second, third grade on, uh, the, the push was you got to do stuff in science because it's in the country's best interest. And so throughout school, I was, you know, pushed into math courses, pushed into the chemistry courses and stuff like that. I went to college and uh, decided that I wanted to pursue uh, the science that I'd been taught uh, for 10 years in, in the public schools. Uh, you know, without all of the fancy stuff uh, and, uh, that you get uh, when you're in a great high school with great science offerings. I mean, we had one teacher who basically taught all of it, whether it was chemistry or, ge or, ge or, or math, uh, and sometimes biology, <laughs> and so, but, but the point was, when I got to college, I still wanted to pursue uh, the science. So I got a degree in mathematics, and it was my intention and desire 
to pursue graduate studies in math. In fact, I had applied uh, uh, for some graduate schools. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, uh, it, uh, it was a very activist time. Uh, and we were having speakers coming on campus uh, that covered the, the, the spectrum. And where did you go to undergrad? Undergraduate North Carolina College, North Carolina Central University now. And so in addition to the speakers uh, who were very, com very convincing speakers on a wide range of things, uh, there, there were weekly programs that we were required to go to uh, where we would listen to folk come in to debate the issues of the day. Uh, I was in Durham. Uh, which was basically the heart of activism in the state, and uh, especially with students then. Uh, and, you know, not just the students at uh, NCCU, but the students at, at, at Duke had started getting involved at Chapel Hill. Uh, very, very uh, big cadre of activist students. Uh, the kids from uh, school here, uh, mostly Shaw and St. Augustine's, and occasionally some of the kids from state. In, in the midst of all of this, uh, we had uh, the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. And I started thinking, because every night that we'd go, I'd go to the dorm, in addition to completing all of my assignments and stuff in math, and uh, I, I would go in, talking to the kids who were political science majors, history majors, uh, and uh, the, the liberal arts studies. And so it, it made me have to read the stuff that they were reading so I could engage in meaningful conversations with them. You know, whether it was the life times of Frederick Douglass or various other books. Uh, uh, some of them might even be banned now. I don't know. People would try to ban them. Uh, but anyhow, so in reading those uh, and following those assassinations, I, I started gravitating towards something that would be more people-centric, uh, more involved with what's happening in people's day-to-day -day lives. Math is very important, make no mistake about it. Uh, but, but I want it to be involved with people, getting a sense from them uh, what's happening in their lives, what we need to do to address the issues that uh, were confronting us. And so by the time I was uh, going into my senior year, I was talking to a lot of students who were saying, you know, I think I'm going to go to law school because law school can do this and that and the other. And I knew no lawyers. I mean, I, I'd grown up, there were no lawyers uh, in my community that I interacted with. I knew that there were some in Lumberton around the courthouse, but there were no black lawyers. And it, it dawned on me uh, in, 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 in the early fall, maybe you ought to think about going to law school. So I'd completed my... Uh, uh, examinations for graduate school and stuff, and uh, I wandered into the LSAT, and uh, did relatively well. I said, well, maybe this is, <laughs> you know, because uh, when I was thinking about math, I did well in math on the SAT. So I said, maybe this is another direction. I got to listen to the signal, and I went over to Duke, uh, which was a, a great experience. Again, I got involved in leadership, got involved uh, uh, with some uh, uh, fantastic people. I had uh, some professors who were really very insightful uh, and very encouraging, uh, and uh, I got to know Terry Sanford, who had, who had been the governor of my youth, and he had just come over to be president at Duke. And so at the end of that ex experience, uh, I decided to stay in North Carolina because I was recruited to uh, come to work at Sanford's law firm over here in Raleigh. Yeah, I, I was an associate and got in the middle of uh, a 
a law firm that really believed that its associates, its partners, and everybody else ought to be engaged in community. Uh, and that you ought to be doing something, whether it's volunteering at the Boys Club or the Y or, or precinct organizations, or public office. Because I mentioned that Sanford had been uh, and was still in that law firm while he was president at Duke. Uh, and uh, had folk like Al Adams, uh, who served a long time in the General Assembly, Hugh Cannon, who ran for the U.S. Senate but had been in Sanford's administration, Bob Spielman, who, who uh, 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 just celebrated uh, in many ways just a, a very serious intellect, but who was involved in uh, subsequently all kinds of political stuff. And by the way, who was the one who engineered the Leandro uh, decision, he represented the plaintiff and conceptualized uh, the whole theory behind Leandro. So there were some great people in the firm uh, doing, uh, doing wonderful things, and they had to be involved. And so that meant that as an associate, I needed to be involved in something else. And that was politics. Let's talk about your decision. You're, you're a young practicing attorney. Can you talk about running for the General Assembly? A vacancy occurred in the delegation. I said, you know, I may as well throw my hat in it. It was an appointment by the executive committee, and I came up short out of several thousand votes, a hundred, maybe 27 or 30 votes, something like that. But, you know, I was 27, 28 years old. So, so uh, you know, when you're that young, you're resilient. You just bounce back and go to the next battle. And, uh, and so then I decided, hey, I'm going to run. And by that time, I'd started my own law firm, and I did. And my, my thought was I would serve two terms uh, in the House, and that would fulfill my public service leadership responsibility. I, uh, after two terms, I started uh, getting more responsibility, leadership responsibility in, in the House, uh, and realizing that you could solve problems in, in multiples a lot better by passing policy affecting it uh, than by winning a case in a court on a specific issue. Uh, and thought that that was a, a much more efficient way to make a difference. And so I stayed on that path uh, and uh, uh, for 21, 20, 21 years, 22 years, uh, and then left uh, uh, after serving in multiple capacities in the House of Leadership, left and ran for the United States Senate. Well, you, you kind of overlook something here. You <laughs> made history while you were in the House. You were the first black elected Speaker of the House. And, and I want to point that out, but also, correct me if I'm wrong, when you became Speaker, Democrats weren't exactly united. There was a split in the House, and then you come on the heels of that and kind of unite that Democratic caucus. Uh, I had, uh, uh, you know, Chad, uh, various committees uh, of, of varying responsibility uh, in the House. And uh, we had a speaker who uh, was the longest serving speaker in the state's history. He had served eight years. Now that seems a short while now when you start looking at the terms that people are serving and the, the, the amount of time that they're serving as legislative leaders. But remember in this background, the governor had just gotten the right to succeed himself. And so the speakers started succeeding themselves, as did 
the head of the Senate at that time was a lieutenant governor, much more so than the uh, president pro tem. Uh, and so these terms started getting longer. So uh, a, a group of Democrats grew tired of the same speaker being in charge for three consecutive terms, four terms. So they uh, coalesced with uh, the Republicans and overthrew the speaker. And so my task was to reunite uh, the Democrats uh, since the, the Democrats were such a substantial majority and see couldn't we get uh, a sense of joint leadership, joint ruling. And so I was able to, uh, uh, re, uh, to reunite uh, the leadership in, uh, among the Democrats and became speaker. Uh, and and you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of two things. Number one, I, I believed that everybody who uh, was on the train, that is everybody who had won a seat to the House of Representatives, deserved a voice in what we were doing. Didn't matter to me whether they were Republican or Democrat. So we had proportional leadership. You know, if you had 48% of the membership, then you were gonna have 48% of the presence on the committees. And all ideas are important, and you gotta create a process so that everybody's idea can be heard. Now, it might be the most stupid thing you've ever heard, but they still deserve a chance to have that idea competing in the marketplace of ideas. And so we went through that and uh, went through a very deep recession and, uh, uh, and had to do some extraordinary stuff to get the budget balanced. And so we made some hard choices uh, not to lay off teachers, not to cut their salaries, to provide whatever we had toward educating our kids. And we came through it. Uh, and the following term, we, we, we started coming out of it. Uh, Jim Hunt was reelected uh, as governor. And, uh, and we set higher ambitions and goals for the state. And I was reelected uh, for another term uh, as speaker. And uh, after two terms, the uh, Republicans uh, uh, flipped the chamber. And so then I went back to doing what I was doing. And that is pretty much just looking at the issues and pursuing them as best I can, uh, could. And uh, later on, we had uh, the Democrats took control again. The Democratic caucus was different then. You had a lot of splits among East-West that was there. You also had some very conservative Democrats that served. Some, you could even argue, were very conservative on racial issues. We, you were, there were Democrats that used to be segregationists that were elected to the House. Was it a battle to become Speaker? It was a challenge. Uh, you know, any success at any leadership office that people have to vote uh, for you on is going to be a challenge. And uh, so, you know, I've I visited folk all over the state, uh, went to their home districts. And again, going back to the experiences that I'd had, you know, I, I was as North Carolina as anybody was going to be. I'd, I'd lived and experienced the things that made North Carolina go and grow, whether it was a tobacco farm, uh, whether it was with livestock. Uh, whether it was produce and various other things that uh, we raised on our farm. And so you understood uh, the things that moved people in North Carolina in my youth, uh, as it was even when I was elected uh, speaker, or at least uh, when I was elected to the House, was still a state that was dependent on manufacturing, primarily the furniture manufacturing, textiles, uh, and, uh, and farming and agriculture. 
And so uh, 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 from the area of the state that I was from, agriculture and textiles and, and, uh, and manufacturing generally, that, that's what ran the economy. And I had interfaced with all of that. Uh, I'd done it all, uh, and I'd grown up with people who were doing it. My dad worked in the textile industry uh, uh, as well as doing the farm. And, and so I, I knew what a lot of the conversations were and what people were, were thinking. Uh, and so I went to them uh, in their own place uh, uh, and explained to them why I thought I would be the best leader for the time. Uh, and and uh, at the end of the day, I got a majority within the caucus. And uh, following that, the entire opposition collapsed, and I had uh, unanimous support uh, when I saw it uh, was elected speaker. The interesting thing, and I'll share this with you right quickly, uh, some of the folk who were involved in that uh, are common names now. Roy Cooper, uh, uh, Sam Hunt, who was a transportation secretary, Dave Diamond, who uh, uh, was very involved, uh, Harry Payne, who was the uh, labor commissioner, uh, 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 Toby Fitch, who was, who's still around, uh, but uh, was a Supreme Court judge. Uh, 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 Dennis Wicker. Uh, Dennis was the uh, uh, majority leader uh, when I got elected speaker, and he helped me organize that whole effort. Uh, Richard Moore came the year after. <laughs> so, so we had a lot of folk in the House who later went on to do great jobs in public service. Martin Nesbitt. Martin Nesbitt. Martin was one of the real leaders. Yeah. Yeah, he spoke. He always spoke so highly yeah. of you and was so glad when you joined him over on the Senate side. I went to give him some help. I thought he needed some of it. <laughs> I, I thought he needed some assistance. We, we, had battled, we had battled the Senate together when we were in the House and frustrated him and did a little bit of everything. So he was over in the Senate by himself. And I said, hey, that's a good place. My old buddy needs me. And so I went to help him out, and we did for a while. <laughs> yeah, let's fast forward to being on the Senate side. You were appointed to the Senate originally? Yeah, the, uh, the uh, uh, Vernon Malone, who has, had been a longtime public servant here in Wake County, the county commission, school board, Chatham Hall, uh, uh, was serving in the Senate. Uh, and in April of 2009, I was still serving in the House, uh, chairing a Judiciary Committee. But in April of 2009, Vernon died. And a vacancy occurred, uh, and I, I seriously mean it. I looked, and the house was fine. It was coming on along. All my old buddies, Hackney and all of them, were still uh, the, rowing uh, the oar, trying to move things forward. Uh, but I sensed that Nesbitt and a couple of other guys needed me over in the Senate. <laughs> uh, no, but in a serious vein, I thought that... Uh, uh, it, it would be a great move to, uh, to, to, to basically, obviously, take on a broader representation since a Senate district is considerably larger than a House district uh, and uh, make sure that I could coalesce, coalesce the kind of different opinions and ideas to help keep the state moving forward. And the committee appointed me uh, or recommended me to the governor uh, to replace Vernon. Uh, the recommendation was pretty much a mandate because the governor has to appoint whoever the committee recommends. And so I've been serving in the uh, Senate ever since. That's 13 years ago. And one of the things that I observed over there, and, I, and I've told my uh, counterparts in the House and my old colleagues that uh, there was a, since the Senate was much smaller, 
uh, it was much easier to coalesce behind different ideas. Not much easier, but you could get to the people that you had to convince, and you didn't have to convince as many. And so you could get to the end of it. And, and the Senate, Democratic caucus, caucused every week, sometimes every day. And so you were constantly discussing these issues. And you identified something earlier when you pointed out uh, that, that, that you had different opinions and different ideas, whether it was rural or urban or whatever the case may be. But what you had in the leadership uh, was a combination of all of those folk. I mean, in critical leadership positions, you had people from the urban areas as well as people from the rural areas. Uh, that's what's sorely missing in many ways in the way the legislature is organized now. Uh, we're at the point, that because of multiple things, but of, of separating folk out uh, the way that uh, has occurred, uh, you have mostly Democrats in the urban areas. Uh, in fact, if you look at Wake County and the Senate delegation, it's totally Democrat. Uh, and it's the same thing in Mecklenburg County. Uh, and almost the same in, uh, in Guilford County. In fact, it was. I think they were, now we're moving to uh, 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 a broader representation in district county and, and Guilford because they're pulling in one of the rural, rural counties. Uh, but so the urban areas, major urban areas, uh, and Fayetteville, all, all were represented, are represented by Democrats. Uh, and so it was easier in that caucus, the Democratic caucus, when we would meet to merge the ideas of the folk uh, who are from rural areas and those who are from urban areas. And uh, uh, compromise was part of what would occur. Uh, it's not a bad word, by the way. And so uh, what, what, what I did when I got over there is sort of appreciate the way that process was going on. And then in 2010, the chamber flipped. <laughs> And, uh, and Martin became the uh, minority leader. Can you talk about the contrast of being arguably the most powerful legislator in North Carolina when you were Speaker of the House to now you are serving in this loyal opposition role? You are the minority leader. You're the Democratic leader over on the Senate side. I imagine there are some contrasts. I imagine it also helps you deal with uh, Senator Berger, who you must have, I know you have a lot of respect for him. You both are very, uh, you seem to be very cordial and professional, but you must be able to relate to him in some ways as a leader of his caucus. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, Senator Berger and I will talk through issues uh, and, and talk through multiple things. Uh, and we are very respective of each other. I mean, we're both trained as lawyers, uh, and um, he, for the most part, was a lawyer in rural North Carolina, up in Rockingham County, and I'm a lawyer in the largest county in the state, but I grew up in rural North Carolina, and I still relate to the issues uh, that folk experience, whether they're in Eden or Lumberton or Raleigh. Uh, and so we talk about some of those, and, and, and I try to lead my caucus in a way that we can collaborate, uh, and when there is no opportunity to be collaborative, then we are the loyal opposition to point out what 
we really think would be the best solution to some of the problems. You know, and we have some, some, some core differences on, on several things. I think that uh, time is bringing the Senate leadership around to our position on issues like Medicaid, uh, because uh, for the most part, the entire state would benefit. I come from an urban area, as I said, uh, he comes from a rural area. Uh, on the surface, it looks like Medicaid would have a greater impact on urban, on rural areas than it would urban areas, and rural areas are represented by Republican legislators. But uh, on multiple issues, we've been able to be collaborative to do a, a bipartisan uh, approach to problem solving. We did that with the governor's energy policy last time. And we're still working on trying to do that uh, in investing more uh, in K-12 and making sure that we work, I think, just, just constantly trying to implement the ideal behind the Leandro decision, you know, without looking at specific numbers or any of that. So, so those are the conversations we have. Now, one thing that we don't agree on at all and that we fight like all get up uh, was the last round of redistricting. Uh, we went through the 2020 redistricting, uh, collaborating, uh, agreeing as to what ought to be uh, aspired to it. Uh, but the 2022 redistricting uh, uh, worked out another way. And, you know, and I'm still uh, uh, regret that we weren't able to reach some uh, solution as the House did. Uh, but, you know, that's the nature of the beast. But, uh, uh, again, on, on many, many issues, uh, we talked them through. Uh, or at least we talk about them. I don't say that we talk them through and agree to them, but uh, the, the, the relationship that leaders ought to have. And, and again, my, my approach, and I try to underscore it uh, with the leadership in the House as well as the uh, uh, Republican leadership in the Senate, is that we need to sort out the things that we can agree on because once you do that, you, you find that your common goals far exceed the things that you want to be opponents on. And once you cut out the political aspect of it, you can get tremendous work done. You have talked a lot about bringing people together. And so our last question for you is that if you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics today, it could be a policy issue, it could just be something fixed, what would that one thing be? I, I take some of this money out of the elections. I mean, it's gotten to the point, and, and this is the honest truth, Citizens United. I think, has done more to move us away from a real democracy uh, as anything we've ever seen. And unfortunately, the court doesn't seem, the court being the U.S. Supreme Court, doesn't seem interested in revisiting it. Uh, but it, it's one of the reasons that you get so much power tied up in a narrow leadership cabal, if you will, uh, is that uh, they can plug in with all this dark money. You don't know where it's coming from. Uh, but you can imagine where it's coming from. Uh, th th it's coming from places of people with special interest. Uh, and they fund all this, funnel all this money into it. Uh, and that kind of money, whether it's intended to or not, has a corrosive, corruptive effect. Uh, and uh, so, so what I would do is, is, as much as we could under the Constitution, try to get this dark money out of elections and just shine a light on it doesn't do a whole lot of good because, as you see, many people don't care who knows <laughs> what they're doing. As long as they can hide, uh, they will do it. But many of them just don't care if you know as long as they got the access into it. Th that would be 
the first thing, and that would make people more representative of the districts uh, that elect them. Uh, and, you know, and I think that that would also shed a different light on the whole process of redistricting. Uh, because if you took the dark money out nationally, you wouldn't have it all coming in, telling the folk at the state level and the local levels how to redistrict so that it maximizes their ability to have the power. And that old axiom that you learned uh, when you were in the fourth or fifth grade, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I'm not saying it makes you a crook or anything, but it makes you yearn for more power <laughs> and it makes you want to have all the power and all the decision-making process. That in and of itself is not the corruption in the way that we think of it, but it's about arrogating all of the decision-making and all the authority and all the power to yourself. That's been the history of mankind and personkind for the last 5,000 years. Uh, and, uh, and, and we need to always be leery of that. Uh, the founders uh, of this country recognized it. I guess they were pretty well broadly read but they recognized that that was going to be a problem. That's why they set up the government the way they did. And, and, and over time, we figured out all these ways to get away from what was obvious to them. So that's what I would fix. Well, Senator Dan Blue, we appreciate everything you do for the state, everything you do for your district. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I have enjoyed it. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I remember when I first started reading the News and Observer when I was a kid in high school. I'd go to the library and I'd read the NNO during lunch. And Senator Blue was such an emerging figure, a powerful chair of committees. And I remember when I was in college and he became Speaker of the House. I remember when he ran for the U.S. Senate. I remember when he came to UNC Greensboro and introduced Bill Clinton, who was campaigning in 1992. But to sit down with him and just to pick his brain for over a half hour, and we actually had the pleasure of sitting with him for an hour or so just talking, was such a treat, Sky. Tweet, tweet of, of the, the week. week. This week's tweet of the week is from Dallas Woodhouse. He tweeted this on Monday morning. I sent it to you right when I saw it. And it says, he's at Dallas Woodhouse. It says, flights running $3,000 from RDU to New Orleans this weekend. Historic Battle of the Blues will cost a ton of green. <laughs> that is the truth. Just please into remember how much tickets were going for at Coach K's last home game. They mm -hmm. were just like crazy expensive. All of these people are going to be traveling from North Carolina to New Orleans to see the third matchup of these two teams this weekend. And here is to our final four that kicks off today, the date we dropped this podcast on Friday. So at two o'clock, we are releasing our brackets for a final four going to be some great matchups our bracket is out it's not it's out you can see who the matchups are but it will be open for polling yeah or voting and i will say we're not we're not endorsing anyone but senator lazara is bribing people so <laughs> yeah. we are looking at a matchup of chris humphrey versus michael lazara mm -hmm. 
Representative Humphrey, Senator Lazara, and then Senator Devier versus Representative Reeves. Guaranteed a bipartisan final game, or I should say Republican versus Democrat final game. Yes. Question, Will, will it be a bicameral game? That is a big question. I mean, everybody's been so strong. Robert Reeves has had to really scrap to get here, but has really shown some survival in this tournament. Yeah, that last round of Dustin Hall versus Robert Reeves had like 500 votes on it. Mm-hmm. Did yeah, it that? did. It did. And what's odd, kind of suspicious, maybe, Senator Devier's numbers. I mean, so we just had this last round, and his numbers were like... Stop al- the steal. Almost three times the numbers of the other competitors in the Elite Eight. Representative Humphrey texted me about that. I, I think he's trying to come up with a game plan. Senator Lazar certainly has his game plan. You saw his well, post I on didn't, Twitter. Didn't the Senator Johnson versus Senator Devier, both of them were like whipping votes in their community yeah. last weekend. Yeah. So I think that's why the spike in those votes were happening. Okay. We will get to our final game. We will start that on Sunday night. Go into Monday, and it'll end sometime during the game of the championship game. And, and then we face... Jeff Tiberi's champion will be... He's been timing his with every game, so I would assume that his won't be until after that game. Mm-hmm. So next week we have... It, it'll be an overtime round, if you will. It'll be an overtime round, yeah, for an undisputed champion. I can't lie. I don't know who's in his final four. Could it be Nick Oshner's microphone? Okay. <laughs> I did see a matchup over there between Representative Jason Sane and Speaker Tim Moore. I think Sane, Sane, won. Sane prevailed. Yeah. We so appreciate that you return every week and listen to the Do Politics Better podcast. We'd love it if you shared this with your friends or your colleagues. And we are grateful for your support. If you would like to leave us a review, we would love that. We will talk to you next week. In the meantime, please remember to do politics better. Yeah, so I auditioned, it must have been last month, and I heard back this week that I did get the role. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look at me, okay? (laughs) I can't look at you. I'm crying. I'm just overcome with emotion. I'm so happy.